This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Manchester City go top after victory at the Emirates. The two best sides in the division, a much better game than when they met in the Cup a few weeks ago. And if Arsenal shaded the first half, it felt like City made a statement in the second. Fine margins, an elite centre-forward and Bernardo Silva at left-back. Arsenal will feel that they gifted City two goals and he probably shouldn't do that. Also today, Graham Potter really just needs one to go in off his backside. An excellent performance in Dortmund, creating all the big chances, except for the one that Karim Adeyemi brilliantly took for the home side. Turns out £105 million doesn't necessarily buy you express pace. In the other game, Scott Parker's Champions League debut didn't go quite according to plan. We'll look ahead to Manchester United Barca in the Europa and the weekend's Premier League games with news of a possible gabillion pound takeover for Spurs. We'll re-record yesterday's bit on Jesse Marsh after talks broke down with Southampton. Look ahead to the Premier League and discuss Mike Dean in song. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, the Racing Post's Mark Langdon. Welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Lars Siverton. Good morning, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Howdy. So Manchester City win 3-1 at the Emirates. They go top of the league, the first home defeat for Arsenal. Uh, They've still got a game in hand, Arsenal. Of course, they have to play each other at the Etihad. Barry, does this feel season-defining to you? Uh, I think yes. Not, Not on the evidence of that game alone or the outcome of that game alone, but just... The fact that Arsenal seem to be having quite a massive wobble. That's one game now, or one point out of their past nine available. I completely appreciate that they were unjustifiably robbed of two of those points in a game I thought they were very lucky to draw. <laughs> um, but we won't go there again, Max. You appear to have, you appear to have gone there again, I would suggest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it seems season-defining to me. And Arsenal play Villa at the weekend. That's a massive game. And one I feel they might mess up. And that, that I think that will be that yeah, as far as I go. But it is still very much in their own hands. And that's, that's what, you know, Arsenal fans will be... It's a, it's you know, it is in their own hands. It's the league is still theirs to lose, and yet you feel it's more or less it's really cities to lose, don't you? I know what you mean. I, I, I don't know how you feel, Mark. I think that's really important for Arsenal as a club and as a fan base to to remember that 
it isn't all over after that result. Yeah, I, I think that um, yeah, it, whether it's season-defining depends on Arsenal, whether they let it be um, season-defining. They had a... You know, that a first half of the season was never going to be repeated. You know, um, even the best teams drop points. And, you know, I would imagine that Arsenal probably still will get somewhere in the, the mid 80s, which might not be enough to, to win the league. But, you know, if you are going to pick up 30 odd points from the second half of the season, you will lose matches, um, you know, against somebody like Man City. You will drop points against somebody like Brentford at home. You know, it just happens. And, you know, uh, they need, I think, to not let this sort of overpower all of their sort of thinking and you know Arteta needs to stay calm the players need to stay calm they're still having a, a great season those mistakes I don't necessarily think it was because it was such a big game that they've made those mistakes so you know I don't think Tommy Yasu panics because he's playing against Manchester City and you know they feel like the title's on the line with that back pass so, you know I think that can just happen in in football um, I would be more concerned I think from an Arsenal point of view that wasn't sure the midfield functioned great without uh, Thomas Partey and they have had quite a good run in terms of you know being able to pick their best 11 most weeks and that's unlikely to be sustainable over you know 38 matches so that was one issue um and outside of the mistakes also Martinelli's just gone a touch quiet um on on that left-hand side and they did manage only one shot on target in in the entire 90 minutes despite dominating possession it felt like they were kind of dominating possession more with City still controlling the game, um, if, if that makes sense. Uh, Barney picked out Haaland, Lars. You know, and I suppose you compare to Nketiah and you talk about these fine margins and Haaland took his goal brilliantly and Nketiah had a couple of chances that, that he didn't take brilliantly. He's very good at football, uh, Erling Haaland is. Uh, certainly the, the noble art of, of kicking ball into goal. He's quite good at it. And it's also... You know, there's something about having, even in games where he's not as involved as you want him to be, uh, does he fit Pep's system, all this sort of discourse that we've been having, you still, the defenders still have to deal with the fact that you have a guy who's six foot something and also probably the fastest man on the pitch and also probably, you know, one of the best finishers we've seen in recent times. Just the fact that he's there gives you a problem and something to deal with. It has an impact on the, on the defense. And I thought in this game, they're still not giving him the ball quite as often as I'd like to see them do, but he, they did use him a little bit more. And he is such a menace with the sort of combination of running power and strength. And and it's interesting because all the sort of we had this discussion before he joined or before the season started. You know how will this very direct, very number ninety, number nine um, suit Pep Guardiola's style of play? And maybe he doesn't. But uh, if you stick a finisher that good in front of a midfield that good, it maybe probably doesn't matter. And then the season started, and he scored so many goals that the whole discussion disappeared. And then he went a couple of games without scoring goals and the discussion came back. But I think that sort of friction has always been there, whether he's scoring goals or not. There is a bit of a difference between what he does and what Guardiola ideally wants from his from his striker. And everyone's going to have to adapt a little bit. But just having a guy with that pace, that strength and that finishing ability up front, it's, it's never a bad thing. And when uh, your opponent makes the kind of mistakes that Arsenal made here, you know, he's, he's got to bounce. Yeah, Pep, Pep made after the game, said, look, we should play more that way with him. We have to be more direct. I don't know if he was feeling sick as he said it. Not with a long ball, he said, but with a pass. Yeah, yeah. So like, he's really mm. clarified. We, we're not getting it launched, lads, but we kind of are 
getting it launched. The um, the penalty that got back, um, Arsenal back into the game, Barry, there was there was uproar. I mean, clearly not, not great news for the Arsenal conspiracy theorists to get that penalty, but it seemed quite obviously a foul to me. I thought it was absolutely a penalty. And um, I did notice uh, Manchester City TV or their, their in-house commentary was like described as a, an extraordinary call and I've I've no idea why that's been given, and I'm going. You must have some idea, surely. <laughs> um, it, it's a late tackle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I really like that. that uh, I mean, I tweeted that's a penalty. Like sometimes you don't see it given, right? Because it's the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper is treated differently to an outfield player. But the amount of replies that were, "Where's Edison supposed to go?" Well, he's just not supposed to foul. <laughs> Eddie Nketiah, right? That's sort of, you know, sometimes you miss the ball and you hit the player and then it is a foul. I just don't think there's any controversy in that. Also, Mark, we should, you know, Tommy Asso makes the mistake, but that finish from De Bruyne is really special, actually. Almost off his shin, but it feels like it was still controlled enough. It was um, a delightful uh, finish from uh, De Bruyne because I I don't think it was that easy a a chance, you know, like in in that situation on, on the left foot, and um, he was um, he, yeah. I I I I don't think there are t- too many players that would have taken that route um, over Ramsdale. I feel like most would have tried to control it and then um, you know either take a shot or try to go round um, Ramsdale. But no, it, it was a, a fantastic uh, finish from uh, De Bruyne. I did feel though in the first half you were talking there about um, you know Guardiola saying about being more direct. I did think that City were too direct actually in, in that first half and were. We're whacking too many long balls um, forward without um, aiming them, them them properly. And um, in the first half, I don't think City played particularly well, apart from pouncing on that uh, De Bruyne mistake. But the second half, last half an hour particularly, they really stepped it up. With regards to that uh, poor first half from City, I really enjoyed how Pep Guardiola just kind of held his hands up and said, well, that my bad, you know, because he tried to do a thing with uh, uh, with playing Bernardo Silva almost as a left back and then moving into midfield, you know, the, the, the Zinchenko role, if you will. Uh, and it didn't work very well at all. And, and Bukayo Saka had too much uh, time and space to play with on that side. And, and and Guardiola said afterwards that you know my I tried something new and it was horrible, <laughs> and I mean we've all been there. Uh, and then in the second half, uh, it was more like what we are. And I thought that yeah, that was that was what happened. He tried something new and it was horrible. And then he changed it and it got better. When that man in that pub in Ireland offered you poppers, that could have been something you tried new that was <laughs> horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't take it up on it. Yeah, lots of people asked about that. Jerry said, is having a large striker and no left backs the most Did free? a lot of people ask about that? <laughs> no, they did a lot. A lot. No, categorically, nobody did. But a lot of people asked about Bernardo Silva. Yeah, Jerry saying, is having a large striker and no left backs the most free jazz pep thing ever? Icarus Thump, what does the panel think the birds flying over the Emirates thought when they saw Bernardo Silva start at left back? Um, I guess the I guess the, the issue, Barry, for Arsenal is... is once Man City took a hold, it just felt there was just an air of inevitability about that football match, which I guess would would make you feel like they just have that edge with experience and probably quality. Well, I think that's their 11th straight league win over Arsenal. And, you know, while the the first of those 11 shouldn't matter, when it's now 11 in a row, you it's going to play on your mind, isn't it? And um, 
yeah, they, I, I, I agree. I do think there's a sense of inevitability. And Arsenal, with better finishing, and they were the better team in the first half, as, as we've alluded to, it's not like they were totally outplayed and were massively beaten fair and square. Obviously, they were beaten fair and square, but yeah, it, it, it did seem inevitable once City went ahead. But they, Mark, they do, City are still have a vulnerability, right? They're not, you don't imagine they'll do one of those City type win 18 in a row. Obviously, they could or have many games are left in the season. It doesn't feel like that. No, no, they are still finding and working um, things out this season. There's no doubt um, about that. I, if, I don't see that fluency there. Um, and they are more vulnerable um, defensively than uh, probably because they're maybe not actually keeping the ball as well as what they um, w- would have done previously. And they're maybe not um, off the ball. It's not quite working um, in every game how, how they'd like that. They are more vulnerable defensively. Obviously, you know, playing Bernardo Silva at left back, um, it is going to contribute to that. Um, but even against Aston Villa on, on Sunday, I mean, it was a very comfortable game and it went to 3-1 and then Aston Villa hit the crossbar and you, all of a sudden you could have a, a dodgy couple of minutes there and it, it didn't feel like that in previous seasons. So um, there is a vulnerability to City, but then you look at the quality that they you know are able to bring off the bench where... Um, you know, Phil Foden comes on um, and, and can make a difference. Calvin Phillips, we've barely seen him this season. They didn't even bring on Laporte and, and Alvarez, um, you know, that, that could stiffen them up defensively and give them options in attack. So they have got, you know, I, if you look at their squad compared to Arsenal's, um, maybe we shouldn't be surprised at um, you know, the, the end result. But I think that Pep Guardiola is still searching and, trying to find the best solution for this team. Yeah, it, it's not as good as um, the last couple of years, I don't think. God, he didn't half bombard Calvin Phillips with chat before he came <laughs> on, did he? I was just watching him go, he'd be so confused by the time he came on the pitch. Just be quiet, leave him alone, let him get on with it. Uh, Joey says, why does Leandro Trossard always look absolutely knackered? Um, thoughts of uh, the former Leeds, brilliant Leeds player, Pablo Hernandez, is sort of permanently looking like he's just... Come, you know, he's come straight to the game from like a, a night out, you know, like proper Sunday league. He's been out on the tiles all night and then puts in a world class performance. Bob says, At what point will Arteta go full Keegan with a love it speech? And should he be fined if he doesn't? He's actually, in a way, Lars, got sort of feels to be sort of getting calmer in, in these moments than he was when they were winning all those games. No, that's true. I think he has a Keegan moment in him, but uh, he has definitely been. Uh, very conscious of his uh, body language and actual language after these last couple of games when they're having this little wobble. Uh, I did think the sort of the blaming of the ref to the extent that he did was a little bit sort of unnecessary and silly because it does seem he's kind of forgotten that the ref also took a goal away from Brentford basically in that game uh, mistakenly. But whatever, we don't need to go back into that. Uh, I, I did think... And this is very, very hindsight, but was dropping Ben White a slightly odd move for mm. this game? I mean, it's not that Tommy is not a good player, but Ben White is excellent. And uh, when you have when you're going to have a a one on one versus Grealish for for on that side for most of the game, I'd, I'd probably rather have Ben White than than Tommy Asu in that situation. And that's not just on account of the mistake, but just in general, Ben White is really good. He has used Tommy Yasu, Tommy Yasu in these big games before and sort of like a, a one-on-one defender against good dribblers and it's worked quite well. So I, I, I don't know. I think Lars being 
touch harsh. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. And I do think, and I think, you know, to his credit, Arteta, I think what he said after the game about how, you know, that he gets more confidence because they sort of went toe-to-toe with a really good team. I think that's a very sensible way to react to this sort of situation because you don't want to freak out too much because they are still in a really good position. They just beat Aston Villa and, you know, the the fixture run for Arsenal, maybe we'll get at that, but the fixture list is pretty good coming up. Give it to you, us. You've got Aston you've got Aston Villa next, which given the way Aston Villa have sort of kicked themselves in the feet recently, it should be, should be doable. Uh, a big one for Unai Emery, of course, I'm sure he'll, he'll be relishing that, but you know, they've, uh, they've been making some odd mistakes defensively Aston Villa in recent games. Then they got Leicester away, you know, hard to know what to expect from Leicester, but should be beatable. Then you've got Everton at home, Bournemouth at home, and Fulham away, and then Palace at home. Like, this isn't Leeds at home after that, before you then get into to Liverpool, and we're in early April. Yeah, so it's a nice run, as they it's go. Not, it's, not, it's not the worst, put it that way. So if they just stay calm and keep doing what they've been doing all season, they should be picking up three points from most of those games. John says he's watching an advert for Clarkson's Farm scroll across the electronic scoreboard. The worst thing seen at the Emirates since William <laughs> played there. By all accounts, like it's sort of, it's anti-Clarkson, isn't it? The farm show. I don't know if you've watched any of it, Barry. That is sort of really pleasant and nice. And, you know, you can write horrible articles about people and then turn out to be actually really lovely when he's trying to grow a kumquat or whatever he does. I have never seen it, I'm afraid. So I, I don't know. I, I can't watch anything with Clarkson. I used to quite like Top Gear years ago. And then I, yeah, I'm just not. It's okay. Uh, and just- I think I've, I, I, you know, I've, I've already broken my leg once this year. I don't need more, <laughs> more sort of abject pain and suffering. Um, so I'm just going to give Clarkson a miss, I think. Fair enough. Uh, Matt says, American here. I've been watching the Premier League for 10 years. I have no club. I like watching all the matches and I root for chaos. It's great. What a great way. <laughs> what a great way to consume this. Uh, I'm compelled to step in in defense of your referees. They're amazing. They get it wrong on occasion, sure. But the idea they're calling off sides on complicated plays with world-class athletes going full speed and they get it right most of the time. It's insane. They are so good. They miss some stuff some of the time, but they get it almost all right, almost all of the time. Uh, excuse the swearing. What the fuck are you guys complaining about? If they could go to Vegas <laughs> on that skill, they'd all be multi-millionaires with the crap refereeing on American <laughs> sports. I'm constantly amazed at the high quality of refereeing in the Premier League, but more amazed that everyone seems mad about it all the time. Don't you realise what you have? So thank you for that uh, perspective. I Matt. could not agree more. Uh, and that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll begin with Chelsea's defeat in Dortmund. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're doing a special on disability in football and uh, every part of that, be it accessibility, be it good things clubs are doing or things that uh, clubs need to do more more of. And we'd love your experiences. They really add to these pods. The email address is footballweekly at theguardian.com. You can, of course, get in touch with us uh, directly on Twitter. Um, but yeah, send your emails, please, uh, to footballweekly at theguardian.com. We'll try and use as many of your experiences as we possibly can. Uh, to Dortmund, then Dortmund won Chelsea nil. Um, it's a great game. I, I wonder, Lars, if Graham Potter is just always going to be this unlucky. <laughs> the, the unluckiest of generals. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, in this game, I mean, I had this on. I've got to admit that um, Arsenal and Man City sort of drew the eye a little bit when you were sort of double screening uh, because there's so much going on in it. But uh, Chelsea just created 
more than enough chances to win the game and Dortmund didn't create that many chances yet Dortmund won 1-0 it's it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things I'm not sure we can be too harsh on Potter after this you could say that is a consequence of I mean, the, the, the City, of course, have this problem. They have this brilliant number nine and they don't know what to do with them. I mean, Chelsea very much don't have that. I mean, they have poor old Kai Havertz playing up front, who's a brilliant footballer. Maybe there should be a job swap there, possibly. I think Pep would very much enjoy uh, Kai Havertz and his dropping off and linking play. He's tremendous at that. Uh, and he wouldn't have to worry about having to put the ball to the big number nine, whereas I think Chelsea could, could do with someone like that. I don't know, I'm waffling a little bit. I think if you're going to have a guy like Havertz up front, you're definitely relying on the the wide players and the number ten behind him to to score some more goals, and and while Felix was very good in parts of this game, but the, you know he hits the crossbar instead of hitting the goal. These are margins that are going against Chelsea at the moment, and it's I think it's very tough for Potter. Yeah, I mean, Dermot said I thought Potter looked like a bearded child tonight who wandered into the middle of a movie, candy and popcorn in hand, lost between the darkness and the mighty flashes of big night Champions League football. He's out of his element. Right, chaps. But I wonder, Barry, like, what else can he do? Like, Felix has these two golden opportunities in the first half. They create absolutely buckets. And, you know, sure, your coach's job is to get your players into those positions. And that's, he's sort of done his job. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm not sure how Chelsea managed to lose this game or not score. And obviously, it, it's not Potter's fault that Joe Felix hit the bar. It's not. Potter's fault that Joe Felix put one wide when the goal was gaping in front of him and it's not Potter's fault that uh, Gregor Kobel had a brilliant game in goal for Borussia Dortmund but you you are sort of of a mind to think that well the same thing happened at Brighton they got in these positions but they just you know they really struggled to put the ball in the back of the net and What's the connection there? It's Graham Potter. But um, that, I thought Chelsea played very well, apart from the the missed opportunities. Uh, the Borussia Dortmund goal was absolutely terrific. Uh, and I'd be reasonably confident Chelsea will overturn this at home. But will they be able to take their chances at Stamford Bridge? Um, Barry's right, Mark, isn't he? The goal from Adeyemi is was brilliant. I do wonder if Enzo Fernandez should be the last man if he's sort of patently not the quickest player that Chelsea have. I don't know, but it felt a bit like that Liverpool Everton goal, you know, like Tarkovsky hits the post and a second later Salah scores. It's a similar thing, isn't it? It was, yeah. Um, you know, uh, referees have had a slaughtering, um, not by the, the pundits on on this podcast, but maybe um, you know a lot of other people. But the referee played an absolute blinder in, in the goal in the you know the, um, in, in allowing play to to go on instead of calling it back for the offside. I suppose really from that point of view, um you know, Chelsea are going to send all of the kind of the defenders up in, in or most of the defenders up in those situations, Koulibaly and, and Silva, um, you know, big threats in the penalty box. Um, you know, James is somebody that can either put the ball in um, or again would, would be a physical presence. So Enzo Fernandez, I suppose, would be one of the last men because you'd want him, um, I suppose, coming onto the ball sort of 25, 30 yards out and maybe having a shot if, if it breaks that far. Um, and I, I think Adeyemi would have done that to most of the um, Chelsea players, really, you know, bar 
possibly sort of Reese James or or if Mudrick found himself in that position. Um, it was just great play, I felt, from from Adeyemi. Um, you know, Chelsea did fall into the trap, I suppose, in that they 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 overcommitted. Um, but I agree with both Barry and Lars and you know that Chelsea actually played really well um for, for large parts of this game. But it, it's just odd, isn't it? Sort of knowing that Chelsea are in this process where the owners keep saying it's it's not about results at the moment because they've just been the ultimate results club for you know, what feels like about sort of 15 years. And so to kind of try to judge them differently now, it, it just feels, um, it, it doesn't feel um, natural um, yeah. to, to, to sort of trust the process, um, if you like, because Chelsea are just not that process team. And I'm still not sure how Graham Potter can be given time if the fans really turn and I don't think they're all there yet but I, I certainly think that, that some are and um, yeah it's bad luck but if you're the Chelsea manager it just feels like you've got to win more often than he is Barry? Just going back to the lack of goals um, I, I'm sort of absolving Potter of all blame I suppose the one thing you could level at him is why did you leave your your main centre forward out of your Champions League squad in Abamyang. He's not in the twenty-five. Now there's no guarantee he just scored last night and boy has he missed some seriously good chances in the back in the day, but that does seem an odd omission. Emre Chan, Lars, was remarkably good in this game. I hadn't forgotten about his existence, but I just didn't I didn't see him sort of being the heartbeat alongside Jude Bellingham of this Dortmund team. Yeah, that, that's, um, I think one of the reasons why Dortmund have been a little bit more solid recently is that they've, they've played sort of almost like a four, almost like a four, four, five, one. I mean, with, with, with chance sort of sitting uh, ahead of the back four. I thought he went walkabout a few times in the first half, but then they got a little bit together in, in the second and, and that, that clearance off the line was extraordinary. And he put, put in a real sort of battling performance in midfield. Um, Dortmund overall, I think you've already mentioned Gregor Kobel and goal, I think made a really big difference. Dortmund in the last few years have had, there've been some issues in uh, in terms of goalkeeping before uh, before they brought in Kobel. Um, Roman Berkey never really convinced me, but, but Kobel now, in his, uh, having been there for 18 months, they look like they've got a got a solid goalkeeper there at least, at last. And, and, and on to Chelsea, I think, again, They've spent a lot of money and we tend to sort of reflexively think, oh, spend much money, must win now. But it's like, if you look at who they brought in, it's overwhelmingly like quite young guys and then guys who in many cases, you know, yeah, you paid a lot for Mudrik, you paid a lot for Enzo Fernandez, but Mudrik's coming from the Ukrainian league where he's not even been playing for that long. Enzo Fernandez has been in Europe for not that long. So they're guys who are having to make a big step up. They're having to get to know each other. Like, I think it's not unreasonable to say that this is something that that might take a little bit of time, even if the sort of uh, the numbers on the page on, on spend are quite eye-catching. It feels like they're Timo Werner just as a whole club now. You know, you just, they're <laughs> not, the, the buckets will come. Yeah, they've scored just four goals in nine games in all competitions in 2023. Failed to score in five games. Drawn a blank in more matches this calendar year so far than any other Premier League club. I did enjoy, Barry, um, when Graham Potter was asked if he wasn't angry enough uh, in the press conference, did you see this when he yes, said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah"? Uh, if you think you can start a coaching career in the ninth tier of English football, he was like the Northern Counties, not the Premier, the Northern Counties, and get to this point now with Chelsea in the Champions League without being angry or getting nice. I would suggest you don't know anything about anything. 
which is really ex- like if you consider there can't be anyone who doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> doesn't know anything oh, about I anything. think I, I, I beg to differ. I, mean, mm. um, uh. I, I, I thought uh, a dear, dear friend of the Paul Archie Rin Tut kind of missed an opportunity and not sort of probing deeper onto this in the post-match just to see just how angry can Graham Potter get. I mean, uh-huh. I think there were goals. Would you, do you think you would have scored in this game, Graham, if you just did, were a little bit more angry with them? I mean, is that something that could have, just to see... No, I guess, the yes, he was, I mean, I was working with him and I was just, it'd been great if he'd just gone, are you angry now? <laughs> how, 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 how about now? And now? And now? <laughs> and, and just prod him at the same time. Uh, anyway, um, at the time, it's still very much alive. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the second leg. Uh, the other game was um, Scott Parker's Club Bruges versus Benfica. Uh, Scott Parker became only the fourth English manager to lead a team in the Champions League knockout stage uh, tonight. I mean, Graham Potter became the, the fifth, or they became fourth and fifth at pretty much exactly the same time. I'm not sure exactly which game kicked off first. Can you name the other three? Harry Redknapp. Harry Redknapp, correct. English managers to lead an to lead a, an English side. Into Bobby the, Robson. Bobby Robson's correct. He didn't lead an English team, but he did lead Porto and PSV. So there's one other English manager who led a foreign team in the Champions League, and there are two others who led an English side in the Champions League. Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard in the knockouts. Yep, uh, his team were beaten seven one on aggregate by Bayern Munich. Harry Redknapp took Spurs. They beat AC Milan before being knocked out by Real Madrid. The other two are very difficult. Do you want me to give them to you? In the interest of this pod not lasting six years, Craig Shakespeare was in charge oh. of Leicester City after Claudio Ranieri was that one. And Gary Neville led Valencia in the Champions <laughs> League. Oh, my days. Could have been here all night. Um, it doesn't look, uh, Mark, like Scott Parker will be taking Club Rouge much further in this competition. No, I think he's probably the first to wear a shacket as well of the English managers on, on the, the touchline. Um, no, I, I mean, Club Rouge did remarkably well um, just to qualify um, for the last 16. They're not doing very well domestically. Um, I, I know that there's you know, going to the playoffs in Belgium, so the 20-point deficit they've currently got um, you know, will, will come down in time. But um, you know, if you're fourth in Belgium and then you're playing Champions League knockout game, the chances are you're going to find it difficult. Um, Parker won't be happy with the two goals because both of them were, were errors that were easily um, avoidable. But over the, the, the sort of whole match, Benfica, um, despite losing Enzo Fernandez um, and Nunez back in, in the summer, um, were uh, the superior team, deserved to win. And are going along very nicely under, I, I think, a underrated coach in, in Roger Schmidt. Yeah, like how, how, how dangerous are Benfica? I think most people will be looking at this game thinking, well, I hope we get the winners of this tie. I mean, obviously, the sides that get through are good. So even if you get, apart from perhaps AC Milan and Spurs, but, you know, like, you're looking at, you're looking at Benfica thinking, we'd quite like them over PSG or Bayern, for example. Yeah, I, and I, you still would, but this is a team that, has drawn twice with PSG um, this season in the Champions League. They beat Juventus home and away um, and are well coached and have got a team that, that seems to know what it's doing. So I think they would be um, you know, dangerous in the last eight. But obviously, assuming they get through, you still rather play them. Um, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly who else is, is through there. But yeah, you would still want to play them. But I think they're a dangerous team. They were pretty dangerous um, last season as well. And um, despite losing those players, they 
don't appear to have got that much worse, if, yeah. if any. Really. Yeah, and they topped the group that PSG were in. We, we shouldn't forget that. Uh, Barcelona, Manchester United tonight, Lars. I mean, it's an early kickoff, so I don't know how many people will be listening to this before that game is played. But still, uh, it is it's arguably the biggest game in Europe this week. It, it's certainly a very it's certainly a very exciting one, uh, and it's uh, it's an interesting test for Barcelona because they are uh, top of the league in in uh, in, uh, in La Liga, having only conceded seven goals all season domestically, which is which is quite remarkable. Uh, Tegen has had uh, quite the season in goal for them. Um, no Sergio Busquets here uh, is absent. No Usman Dembélé is here is absent as well. So a couple of uh, uh, yeah, a couple of big absences from them, but of course. Uh, United on their part they've uh, missing Christian Eriksen still Casemiro's going to be back uh, Martinez and Sabitzer are unavailable so some people aren't there I, I, I do think I mean after all the levers being pulled after all the money being spent if Barcelona are dumped out of Europe by Veghorst, I will be absolutely <laughs> delighted. I, mean, <laughs> I, will, I will find that absolutely thrilling. I'm not a Man United fan, but I desperately want this to happen. Um, also last night in the EFL, big win for third place Middlesbrough at second place Sheffield United in the championship. Uh, Blades still seven points ahead with a game in hand, but you sort of feel if they'd won that game, it kind of would have been done. So well done to Michael Carrick. I presumed we'd lead on it yesterday in yesterday's pod, but can I just tip my hat to Sunderland, who uh, uh, a good friend of mine was at the game against QPR. He he said the, the football Sunderland are playing at the moment is making him sexually aroused. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kyle says when I fly in from Canada for all the playoff final. Um, Sunderland will be in Can I Crash at Barry's he doesn't Kyle hasn't mentioned his state of arousal so I don't know if that would affect things but you know you you know you do put up you you, it is a boarding house for For disgraced gentlemen (laughs) yeah is Kyle I actually I actually have a Canadian nephew is he's currently staying in my home for disgraced gentlemen. I well, think he and, was. and it's probably worth pointing out he wasn't a disgraced gentleman until he arrived at your house, and now he is. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, well, we're not going to talk about that, please, Max. <laughs> so, so you basically, if you're not disgraced, yeah. you will be disgraced at by the, house the time of you leave. <laughs> it would be fair to say he's having a good time. Good, I'm delighted for him. Uh, Neil Warnock missed his first game because he's taking his wife on holiday at Huddersfield. A great, it's a great gig, gang. I've got this. <laughs> job but actually i've got a holiday book got a mini break book so i'm sorry i can't turn up yet but i guess if you're neil warnock kind of do what you like can't you uh that'll do for part two part three we'll look into the premier league games and do any other business welcome to part three of the guardian football weekly um so premier league preview i mean we we've, we've touched on it briefly barry haven't we villa arsenal it's the early kickoff and i think it's interesting Mark, that it is the early kickoff, and so everybody will be watching this, and everyone will see what reaction Arsenal will make. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, is it? Um, you know, Wednesday night, really big game, suffer a, a damaging defeat, and then you're first up um, Saturday, very little recovery time, playing against your former manager, um, your former goalkeeper. It, it it looks trickier than it did a couple of weeks ago, even though Villa have, have been conceding a fair few goals. Um, I think if Arsenal play to their best, um, they will be able to win the game. But 
um, it will require them to, uh, you know, show, I think, real strength of character, um, you know, to be able to get the three points. I do wonder whether Arteta just needs to freshen up his attack in some way um, because, um, you know, I still think Saka's doing great and Odegaard as well. But, you know, Nketiah is going to need picking up. His confidence might be um, a little bit low. And I mentioned earlier, I think Martinelli just gone off the boil slightly. Travis Trossard's knackered. So, you know, <laughs> you know he's out all night, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, t- I touched on it earlier. I, normally, you'd say this is really well set up, you know, and, 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 and Unai Emery organized, you know, difficult team, Arsenal, not that much rest early game. But it's just Villa's last two games against Leicester and Man City. They've made such bizarre defensive mistakes in those two games. Maybe that was just a thing that happened at, and that won't continue to happen. But I find it very hard to trust them to to, to get anything done after those two, two, two games. If you just go through the last seven goals Aston Villa have conceded in the last two games some strange behavior in the back line uh, <laughs> that, that you would imagine Arsenal would be able to exploit if they continue uh, Brentford played Palace Brighton Fulham um, should be a, a, a nice nice on the eye Brighton Fulham shouldn't it um, Chelsea plays Southampton Southampton uh, have ended their interest or probably have in, in making Jesse Marsh their new manager after talks broke down they faltered over the length of any proposed contract Jesse Marsh wanted a longer one than Southampton were offering. They were just like, can you do, can you just do the weekend, Jesse? Uh, <laughs> uh, so first in coach Ruben Sellers will continue to take training for Saturday's match. Um, Southampton will continue to look for another replacement uh, for Nathan Jones. Um, and I wonder who, I don't know who they'll get, Barry. I imagine you don't know who they'll get either. No, no, you don't. we'll find out. <laughs> I guess sure. when they do. Surely, Max, yes, like that would be one of the first questions that you would ask Jesse Marsh. Like, you know, you would you would talk about money and how long you were getting that money for. So it, it was very odd that it became a stumbling block so late in the um, sort of contract talks. Um, yes, that's a good point. Yeah, length so, of contract feels like question one or two, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it certainly I be, be it certainly be before the. Um, you know, I've got a holiday um, book, so I'm taking my wife away, so I can't do the next game. But yeah, it feels, feels above that. Uh, so yeah, Ruben Sellers' favourite, odds-on favourite to get it. Uh, Jesse Marsh second, and then Gerard Hasenhutl and Rooney. Be nice for Hasenhutl to come back. <laughs> come back <laughs> try and work out he's good again. Um, Mark, you work for the Racing Post. Those next manager markets, do many people bet on them? Because they seem no, incredibly really. volatile, but they also seem like the kind of thing you get some insider information and you could pile on, uh, but presumably that would arouse suspicion. Yeah, I mean, they are um, sort of novelty markets more than anything else, not to be taken um, too seriously. Jesse Marsh was 1 to 100 um, yesterday morning, though, so it did feel like that one um, was, was in the bag. But yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take the odds too seriously on, on those things. Sad if you put a pound on that and lost 1p or whatever, you know. I tried to, I, I had some insider info on one of these things once, and I tried to exploit that by putting a sum on a, a player to go to a certain club. And the, the betting company in question just immediately closed the market. Like they saw something was happening here. We're not taking this, uh, which turned out to be great because the player changed his mind. It's like when Max <laughs> refused to bet on himself to be James Richards' replacement on Football Weekly because he thought he might get sent to prison for insider yeah, trading. Despite having... 
signed the contract. I was like, ah, oh, I could, I could make a killing here, you know, but I didn't because I'm an honest man. Uh, Everton leads Barry feels huge, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So, uh, just before I go into that game specifically, this I think there'll be some interesting results this weekend. Um, I'm in one of those last man standing things in a, a borough pub, and it's starting again this weekend. So you have to pick a team that you think will definitely win. And the only thing teams I'm convinced will win this weekend are Brentford and Wolves. Uh, so I've gone with Brentford. Uh, Everton Leeds is a massive game. Leeds, oh, I I can't call it, to be honest. Uh, obviously, Everton had that brilliant result against Arsenal. I thought they were pretty poor against Liverpool. But that's at Anfield, where Everton never do well. Um, much will depend, I suppose, on the atmosphere. I'm sure Everton fans will get behind the team. Um, I, I don't know. Can't call it. Uh, Forest Man City, Wolves, Bournemouth, uh, Newcastle, Liverpool. It, it feels large, this game. It's big in the context of the top four. That If Liverpool do get a result, people will start to believe there is some momentum at Anfield. And if they don't, it's all, maybe it's done. It, it, well, Newcastle have sort of quietly... I mean, they're actually only 1-1 one, one of their last six in the league. Now, they've drawn the other five, which is obviously nice. Uh, but they've only scored uh, three goals in this period, three goals in the last six games. You oh, you wonder if they're uh, they're starting to run dry a little bit at the at the worst possible time of the season. I think when obviously when Spurs were abysmal against Leicester and the news of the Bentancur injury came through, I think a lot of people just assumed, well, that's that's a big step towards the Champions League for for Newcastle United. But they've sort of been quietly dropping, you know, f- losing form recently at a at a pretty bad time. They're, they're not conceding any goals really, but they're not good. They're not scoring them either. Uh, Manchester United, Leicester, and Spurs West Ham on Sunday. Uh, Iranian American billionaire Jam Najafi is preparing apparently a three point seven five billion pound takeover bid for Spurs, according to two people with direct knowledge of the plans. We don't know who the two. The two people are Stuart Nethercott and Timothy Atuba. They are the two people <laughs> in the know. Uh, apparently, Joe Lewis doesn't want to sell. So, I mean, very hard to speculate. This guy is the chair of MSP Sports Capital, uh, working with a consortium of investors to structure the bid and is weeks away from formally approaching Joe Lewis and uh, Daniel Levy. Uh, is it worth asking what you expect will happen here, Mark? Well, I mean, first of all, Phil, uh, you. you, you you have to sort of check your billionaires and see just how bad they are. I mean, it sounds like this is not too bad a billionaire and he's, he's done some good work. I with, checked with, with Philippe. It was the first thing I did yeah. was message Philippe going, can I still support them? He was like, well, you know. Yeah, and uh, um, Phoenix Suns, I don't follow basketball too closely, but, you know, apparently they've shown ambition and, you know, that that's that's a good thing, I think, from a Tottenham fan point of view. Um, but as you sort of mentioned there, Max, you know, the, the figures that they're talking about doesn't seem like it will interest Enoch um, and that they they want more. And the cynic in me is just wondering whether in sort of bidding um, at this kind of price um, is just setting the bar for Manchester United and Liverpool, um, you know, almost kind of, well, if Tottenham are worth four billion, then surely Manchester United have got to be worth six or seven. So, um, yeah, I, I, 
I suppose you always wonder what, how these things get out and why they they get out. You know, a couple of weeks before because Stuart never cuts a blabber mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust a tuba in this sort of situation, or indeed many other situations. You can't trust him not to do something weird in possession at left back or tell everyone what's going on. It, it is very weird with both with with Tottenham, Manchester United, and Liverpool all up for sale and quite publicly uh, I think up for sale I mean the, the Tottenham situation is maybe a little bit more hazy but it, it, it's clear that these these clubs are, are are on the market if you've got a few billion lying around uh, and, and that makes it interesting to me to look at what kind of people are interested in in the clubs and for what kind of reasons um, James says hi Max and co I'm a Madrid based science journalist and a big fan of the pod following on from Barney's entertaining rant on Monday's episode about not wanting to know the names or indeed anything else about the identity of referees I was recently listening to the latest album by genre bending Spanish superstar Rosalia when a line from her track Chicken Teriyaki jumped out at me she describes herself as a chula como Mike Dean which in Latin American street slang roughly translates as cute like Mike Dean. Can any of the panel think of any other songs that name-check referees, past or present? Feel free to kick things off with The Life of Riley. Um, I, I mean, I should, have given, I should have given you some notice, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy for everyone to take a minute of silence, which we'll cut. And if you can come up with any, any songs with referees in them. Peter Walton. Red Hot Chili Peppers kept making songs about Peter Walton, but they never made the albums. <laughs> Anyway, why don't we do that next week and you can send them in because uh, none of us have the brain power to think of any of them right now. Uh, another, uh, on the same subject, um, this message is from Kyle. He says, no question for the pod, but as someone born in Tring, a few doors down from Graham Pohl and Paul, is it Phil Barber? Was he a referee? Um, I absolutely loved Barney saying, where's Tring? I had to quit a team's call as I was laughing so much. Shouldn't be listening to the pod while you're on a team's call. I used to I used to go running with the Grahams as a young teen, and it absolutely made my day. I think they're the poles, aren't they? Or maybe they call them Grahams. I now live in York. I just tell everyone I'm from Watford to avoid the where's Tring comments. But that was a wonderfully funny moment in the pod the other day. Sorry, just have to say, love the show. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Fazzy oh, we says... Got, sorry, what, what about... Yes? Uh, there's got to be some for Jeff Winter. Is there like a Winter Wonderland? Hazy, sh- hazy shade of winter. Yeah, that, that yeah. works. That's true. That's and it, Trevor it, Kettle. It. There's got to be something with a kettle in it. But Polly put the kettle on. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Fazzy said, I had a dream about Barry. Oh, I dreamt that Barry, myself, Mario Balotelli, Paul Gascoigne and Dennis Rodman were roommates at a Congo in Canada. <laughs> Some wow. seriously disgraced gentlemen there. Barry was in charge of cooking for all of us and the rest of us alternated with cleaning the apartment and dishes, etc. Barry was a retired Navy SEAL. What? Rodman was a Rodman was a physics teacher, Gaza a violinist, and Balotelli a call centre employee. I was curious to know where this was going when the alarm rang, and it was four a.m. and my workout time here in Canada. Lol. Who gets who's setting their alarm at four in the morning to exercise? And that is sort of insanity, isn't it? I would also would think that hangs around with Barry. I would have thought. Yeah. I would also think <laughs> the Venn diagram of people who do that and people who listen to the pod is enormously small. I mean, I. Uh, I can understand both of those segments of the population existing, but maybe not coexisting. Impressive stuff. Uh, Producer George says, you've got a Kevin friend in me. Um, I've just got Pierre Luigi Colina stuck in my head and I just don't have a song to go with it. Colleen in is, 
the Irish word for girl. So right. take your pick. And there's bound to be loads of Irish traditional songs with the word Colleen in them, okay. in the title box. So I can't think yeah. of one off the top of my head. No, I mean, actually, all this is proving is quite how slow-witted we all are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweetie says, are you sad about the fact Lilt will no longer be sold? How much will you miss it? Barry. L-I-L-T, like it like that. I haven't had a can of Lilt in many years, but I used to like it. And quite weirdly, I'm not a fan of pineapple unless it's out of a can of Lilt or, and I'm going to get slaughtered for this, on a pizza. What? Yeah. Well, let's go straight to to Mark Landon with that breaking news. (laughs) Well, it's got no place on on a pizza. Uh, In terms of of Lilt, I mean, I I probably not had one in 25 years, so... um, yeah, I can't remember what yeah. it tastes like. Fair enough. I feel like we've done enough today, <laughs> don't you? I'm stuck on Stuart Atwell now. Help me from this agony. <laughs> Bobby <laughs> Madly. Awesome. I can't help it. Uh, right, that oh, would be Truly Madly Deeply. That's what oh, I was yeah, thinking. Really yeah, good. Yeah. Really good. It was that actually works, a song it? about Bobby Madly all along. Oh, dear. This is what this is Potter's cut. It would always end like this, wouldn't it? Perhaps we won't be recommissioned. You won't be back on Monday. Uh, but for the time being, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thank you very much, Barry. Uh, you're welcome. Cheers, Lars. Anytime, Max. Football Weekly was produced by George Cooper. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. 